at least somebody doing something great in our city. said a, uh, a word that we use all the time is block out the outside what's happening and what's being said and basically what the most important thing is what's inside this locker yeah but i mean we fight dog we put a lot of hard work in this shit excuse me we do a lot all week it's frustrating because we just don't get the result but we work our ashes off i mean i'm in there with these guys the whole time and i see the blood sweat the emotions that we put in this game, and it sucks that we get these results, but I mean, ain't nothing's gonna change with our effort. We still gonna work, so I mean, it's, it sucks, but um, we're gonna keep working out, always. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans, straight from the Great British Isles, and we're seven down, only ten to go. Uh, and what is a season of somewhat drudgery? I'm joined by a returning guest again, Radio 610's Landry Locker from In the Loop. Landry, how you doing? Very good, man. I've used a lot of words to describe it. I can't say that I've used drudgery. You might yeah. have a more extensive vocab than me, but I think that is accurate. <laughs> Any word you want to use to describe, you know, this season, seven weeks in, I think would be accurate. I'm going to have to add uh, drudgery to my arsenal. Well, that's, I think the, the build-up to Sunday was tough and it was on and the inter team media was talking and you know they were almost coming across as I can't believe you gave us this guy uh you've got you know arguably the second best player in franchise history you know at the back end of his career so it was always going to be a tough Sunday but was Sunday rock bottom um I don't think Sunday was really rock bottom it was about what I expected uh, I know it's been hard to watch, but I, I think the I think the rock bottom is going to be when you trade Watson and the realization sets in that you know, regardless of the off field stuff, before then he wanted out and he wanted nothing to do with you because of how you have functioned as an organization the last couple of years. And to me, that's going to be rock bottom. I mean, it's also going to be a sign of you know the first major step in the rebuild that could actually lead to, you know, getting out of the situation they're in. But I, I don't, I don't think it was rock bottom. I think rock bottom is going to come, you know, when Watson gets traded and you have that realization of, you know, what the consequences for how things have gone the last couple of years are. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll make a confession. That's the first time in 11 years I didn't watch the game live. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I watched it back yeah. on the month on the Monday morning, but um, yeah, I just couldn't face it really. Um, I obviously saw bits of it as it was on the red zone and what have you, but um, and it was kind of predictable. And you, you, and I always think Landry that if you watch the broadcast, you understand what happened. If you watch the all twenty-two, you understand how it happened. Um, if you watch red zone, you don't really understand much context at all. But um, I've watched all three, and I don't, I don't think any differently of the game now than I did, I did on Sunday at the time. Yeah, I mean, as far as you know. The, the crazy thing about the Texans this year is you watch them, and, and this is kind of three layers, like in a different sense with you. Like sometimes you watch and you say, well, you know, next year, you know, maybe this guy can turn out to be something. I don't know how many of these guys are going to be back next year. So you can't watch it that way. Uh, and then you watch it and you look at the score and you say, 
well, they must have just been terrible. But there have been times where they've gotten blown out where I just don't know what more they could have done. Like, I just feel like the, the players aren't there. So that's, that's the frustrating thing is, like, Jacksonville can lose games and they can say, oh, you know, Trevor Lawrence is developing. We got some young guys that are going to do this and this. The frustrating thing about this with where we are right now, and I don't even think the rebuild has begun, is that I don't really know what's being accomplished. Uh, I, I, I like Nico Collins. I think Nico Collins could be a guy that can be here in the future. Uh, but I don't know if Davis Mills is – I mean, I, I, I don't expect Davis Mills to be the quarterback of the future. Uh, I don't know how many of these defensive guys are even going to be back on the team next year. So it's like you're watching these beatdowns, and you don't even really know, like – what, what is this even going to look like next year? Who's going to be here? Who's not? And, and quite honestly, most of these guys, I don't even want to be back again. I'm tired of watching. Yeah, and I think it's just been the fact that it's been expensively assembled. You've borrowed future cap dollars to to, to get a, a bevy of veterans, all of which are you know limited at best, um, role players on a good team if they're lucky. Um, you piece all that together and you've got you know the biggest point spread in the league every Sunday and this week gone and this week coming against the Rams was always going to be probably the toughest couple of games back-to-back um, stretch. But I think when you watch the games, for me, it feels like, as you said, we've not taken any steps forward. I think you've still got the same problems you had last year. You can't run the ball. Your old line's not very good. You're looking like you're going to have to go up on some of those guys you've invested in. Um, the coaching's not great after you know six quarters of, of brilliance kind of, and, and then it's kind of faded away. So it feels like, you know, this was a chance to redefine Texans football this year, but we've not taken that. And it almost feels like just an iteration of last year, just change the names. Obviously, yeah, I just, think, I just think they're killing time. I mean, I don't, I don't know, you know, I think once you get draft picks and, you know, once you clear up some of the mess, I mean, maybe that's when you can start, you know, at least hanging your head on something. But right now it just seems like kind of a time killer where, you're just you're just out there just to be you know just to be out there right now and you know they're insistent I know David Coley said the other day that they're building the culture I just don't know what exactly they're basing that on um I, I don't know what exactly that culture is and I not that the moves are costly but some of the moves that Casario has made lead me to believe that maybe there's a little bit of over romanticism over romanticizing culture and veterans and all this stuff and that's kind of troubling to me when you're you know doing all these pick swaps for Marcus Cannon uh you're bringing in Rex Burkhead to play I think he played four or five snaps on Sunday uh David Johnson's here for some reason I'm not quite sure why uh Danny Amendola led you to get rid of Kiki QT and you know Anthony Miller it just seems like there's a lot of over romantic over romanticizing these uh these guys that are like supposed to be culture guys and you know they're saying that they're building the culture i just don't know what they're basing that on it seems like you know it's a word that's used quite often but i think there's reason to believe that's just kind of an empty empty statement right now especially when you see the lack of discipline what these guys who are supposed to be culture guys are supposed to bring. Yeah. It just seems over romanticized and really kind of baseless. Yeah, I think if you were if you were building that with young, hungry players, undrafted free agents, you know, as many draft picks as you possibly could hold on, but instead you got you know, you, you reduce your number of draft picks, you took the lowest ever class undrafted free agents, 
um, you piece all that together. And if you have to shoehorn your culture through veterans that you know, Marcus Cannon, Amendola, then I kind of suggest that, you know, maybe that culture is not necessarily conducive to winning in this situation, um, you know, regardless if you want to copy the sort of New England parallels over. But I think for the, on on Sunday, I think the for me, the offence and, and the defence to a degree as well is, you know, if you're going to go down, go down swinging. But when you just go down empty, you know, countless screens, you know, simple route patterns, not throwing the ball downfield, I just think, well, what's the point? Because you're just going out with a whimper. At least, you know, go down and have a go. Go for it on every fourth down, which I know they did and they, and they didn't convert, but it feels like they're just kind of, as you said, it's almost k- killing time, spinning the wheels, whatever phrase you want to put on it. Yeah, I I don't... I, I the, the offense has been... I actually think Tim Kelly's done an all right job. Uh, I don't know how much he has to work with. I think Lovey's actually done a really good job, and that's crazy to hear because I know you're going to look at the stats and you're going to say, you know... Man, I mean, they're not. I mean, I just think they run out of gas. I don't think they have much to work with. I mean, there've been. I mean, they were they were down seventeen nothing against Buffalo or whatever it was, and I was like, damn, this should be way worse. You know, they were giving the ball away and they were hanging in there. And then I think even even you know a couple of weeks ago uh, when they were down they were down seven against Indianapolis, uh, I I was like, you know, they're they're doing all they can. Uh, it's. I don't know. There have been some times where, you know, there have been some, you know, the the third and seven run with David Johnson frustrated a lot of people. And then, um, you know, the screen, the bubble screen that, you know, we got used to seeing when B.O.B. was here frustrated. I, I, I haven't been too critical of the coordinators just because I don't think they have a lot to work with. I think my biggest criticism of the coaches has been I think Frank Ross has been he's made done some strange stuff, the fake, fake punt against the Patriots, whatever the hell that was. Uh, The uh, keeping Andre Roberts in there, Desmond King had more yards in one game than Roberts did all six. Anyone who was at training camp could tell that Desmond King was better uh, than Roberts. We were saying that since the very beginning. Uh, And David Cauley. I mean, I I love the guy, and I feel like anytime you say anything about him, you got to say, who's a nice guy? But, I mean (laughs) – it's it's embarrassing the, the the in-game decisions not even knowing what happened in games where he thought there yeah. was a pass that didn't exist and he's having to apologize the next day uh not letting him score when i'm sitting in the press box and it's an immediate conversation as soon as they even get past the 30 um i mean david coley's looked kind of lost he's looked in over his head and quite honestly you know how surprised should we be because nobody else was going to hire david coley to be their head coach uh, but he's been my biggest disappointment. He and Frank Ross, another New England guy, by the way, uh, along with those players, as far as the coaching, Lovey and Tim Kelly, I'm kind of giving a little bit of a free pass to because if you do look at the first six quarters of the year, I think that Tim Kelly was doing as good of a job as you could expect with Terod Taylor. And Davis Mills was a guy who was supposed to be a project. So he kind of got thrown to the wolves, you know, without Tunsil. Uh, and with some other injuries. So I'm, I'm being a little bit easier on them, you know, than I typically would be in previous years when I thought the talent was a little bit better. Yeah, and I think there, there was a throw where Nico Collins, I think it was a comeback, or it must be a comeback because it was longer than a hitch, but he came back wide open and the throw landed four yards short of him out of yeah. bounds. And it's just basic stuff like that where you think, okay, that was going to happen, maybe nerves, you can write it off, but it's all over his Stanford tape, so it, it's inherent in him, he has those mistakes. So when I saw that, I, that was one of those the moments where you thought, well, 
I just don't think the kid's got it. So and look, he he, he is he's so raw. There's a lot of development to be had there. Um, and I heard McLean on the radio with you today saying they might put him back in late in the in the season. Um, but I think if Tyrod comes back, is it is it uh, reasonable to think he'll attain the level that he did early in the season? You think you've got all that momentum of training camp reps pre-season, get off to okay a good start, but it was against Jacksonville before the injury but um, do you think he'll come back and give the team a boost it's hard to see it based on the last sort of three road trips particularly I mean if he does I don't think it happens Sunday uh, you know I mean with Aaron Donald and I think Aaron Donald hurt both of Carson Wentz's ankles and I think he was in on Russell Wilson's thumb uh, so I mean it's hard to imagine you know with Jalen probably locking down Cooks uh it's hard to imagine it happening Sunday. Uh, and I, I just don't, I, I don't think he's going to look as good as he did those six quarters. I think the offense will look a little bit better, but I almost think it's cruel to put him out there this Sunday with, you know, Donald and them coming to town. Maybe though. I mean, maybe, maybe he can get back to what he was early, but I, I think it's going to be a little bit like somewhere in between, you know, what we've known to Rod Taylor to be and what we saw the first six quarters of the, of the season. Yeah, I think it's got to level out and sort of regress to the mean in a way. Um, I suppose the defense, probably the big highlight was defensive front getting after it. Jonathan Greenard looks like you know the irony of it all. Yeah, he looks like a player, um, and it's it's probably not how he's doing it, but he, he's certainly been productive. Um, and I saw, and there was a couple of clips of him floating about on Twitter today that he was just the high motor chasing everything when Kyler was going from sideline to sideline. And um, he's a guy that wants it. He's a guy, that's, you know, big school guy. Um, and all the irony was B.O.B. didn't even want him, and it looks like probably the best player we've picked in the last two drafts at this stage. Yeah, I remember B.O.B. cussing at the uh, at the Zoom, messing <laughs> yeah. with the Zoom, as he said. Uh, Grenard looks good. Uh, I think Malik Collins looks good. I mean, he should have had multiple sacks. That was probably one of the worst uh, pass, yeah. uh, rough in the passer penalties that you've seen in a while. I think who looked good. Uh, for whatever reason, he was in the doghouse, so... You know, there's there's some guys on the deal. Roy Lopez. I mean, Roy Lopez looks for where you drafted him. I think you'd be pleased with what Roy Lopez is. So, I mean, I think, you know, defensive line is one of Lovey's specialties. Uh, And I think, you know, if you look at those guys, I'm not saying that they're like future all pros or anything like that. But I think Lovey's done a pretty good job with some of those younger guys on the D line. Yeah, and definitely Lopez is is out out snapped his draft slate. And I think that will be. I mean, he's still, his pad level's a bit high and he, he kind of gets turned quite easily and he's facing the sideline at times. But I think there is definitely something there in terms of his uh, in terms of his upside to be getting this many snaps above guys like Ross Blacklock. I know he came back from COVID this week and actually flashed a couple of times on the tape that I saw got in the backfield, just shy of making a play. So hopefully he's one that we can take forward as well as part of that group. Um, but what do you make of the continual changes in the secondary? Because it seems a continual tinkering of benching guys, bringing guys back in, you know, Tavir Thomas is blitzing at the slot in Buffalo, then we've got uh, Vernon Hargreaves doesn't play for a couple of weeks and it just, and I know it's fine margins with limited talent is that Lovey overthinking it or is that generally that what he thinks that's the best to do, to put those guys in a position to be successful? I just don't think there's an ideal combination any way you slice it with these guys, I just think it's, you know there it's a it's a bad secondary it's it's probably the worst secondary that i've ever seen uh covering the nfl and watching the nfl and i just think it's a matter of when someone plays bad you put someone else in and when you have 
this level of talent, that guy's going to play bad too. And you're just going to keep shuffling. Uh, I think that's just really where they are with the secondary. You traded your best guy, Bradley Roby, uh, Lonnie Johnston. I don't even think he's on the screen half the time. Sometimes it just seems like interceptions get thrown to him. Uh, he seems pleased with his performance though, but Lonnie's Lonnie struggling. And I, I just don't, I just don't think there's much there besides Justin Reed. And I actually kind of feel bad for him because you know, he comes into the league and he, you know, he's playing with, you know, Tyron and all that. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's playing with Eric Murray and Lonnie Johnson and AJ Moore. And, you know, he's just kind of, he can't even, you can't even really, when you're, when you're in the position, Justin Reed is in, you know, you can't really, and I know he started out good. He actually started out really good this year, but you know, you're in a situation where, you can't even just focus on you because you're basically having to babysit. You know, Lonnie's 20 yards backfield. He's reacting late, yelling at people, uh, missing tackles. Um, the corners are what they are. Uh, I just don't think there's a good combination there. And it's it's really, really, really uh, tough for, for them. And it's really, really tough for Justin. Yeah, and you think the coaches, that must be in Lonnie's ear because, okay, the ball hits you in the numbers a couple of times and great, you make a play, but... Um, that Zach Ertz touchdown. That was, I mean, that, and then the uh, the third and twenty four, and AJ Green in the, the, at the end of the first half when they, they scored a quick fire uh, ten points, and that that really swung the game and it killed it at that point. Um, but the, the holes in the zone, the the linebackers just continue, and it's the same problems every week, and it's so boring yeah. talking about it every week. But it's the same problems. You can't get the right depth. The, there's a big hole in between the corner and the safety. You always see. Uh, Mitchell diving for the ball late because he's out of position and yeah I think teams will just just keep picking on that and keep picking on that yeah. I think no more so than the Rams this weekend because they've got a you know a high powered offense and it seems to be ticking with um, Stafford this this year so far yeah and it's always funny because I think it's really easy I think it's kind of lazy sometimes when uh, you know like media types or you know fans uh, some fans will like immediately blame you know Lovey Smith or you know, whoever the DC is. And it's like, when you watch it, like, I can promise you that Lovey Smith didn't tell Lonnie Johnson to react six seconds late and keep backpedaling when the ball was in the air. Like, that's not what he's coaching him to do. But bad players, like, you know, I, I think a lot of times we, we assume, like, bad players are slower or they're weaker or they're whatever. But sometimes bad players just don't, don't have instincts and they just don't know what they're doing on the field. And there's a reason that those guys are available for like, you know, one year contracts or, you know, you can't trade them if you want to. And I think that's just kind of the case with some of these guys. Like you just mentioned it, like, you know, the, 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 the spacing and the gaps and all that, like it's, I, I don't, I, Lovey Smith's not telling them to do a lot of the stuff they're doing. They're just, it just once, once, once the quarterback says "hut," like you have what the coach tells you, you have your instincts, and hopefully that combination like works out to where you make plays. Like great players, like whether it was Kareem when he was here, uh, hell JJ, uh, you know, just pick a defensive player, Aaron Glenn. Like a lot of times they weren't necessarily doing what they were coached to do. They just had those football instincts, and a lot of times that took over and they were able to do some things. And a lot of times they were where they were supposed to be and they make plays. I just think, you know, this, there's just a lot of talent lacking on D. Yeah. And I think that it's, it, 
it's a strange, it's a strange combination because you've got you've got basically the only time I can remember them blitzing consistently when you're down in Buffalo. They don't bring any pressure up front because they're so scared of getting beaten in behind. But then the last few weeks we've given up big play after big play. So yeah. you know I think they're damned if Lovey's probably damned if he do, does damned if he doesn't. I think and that's I was probably the back the same, same thing. Damned yeah. if you do, damned if you don't. It really yeah. is. <laughs> so I mean, I suppose and he knows it. So I th- and 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 I think as well, just just on the uh, rounding off the game at the weekend, I think they've kind of almost got this mantra of you don't turn it over, you're almost guaranteed to win, which is not exclusively true. Yeah, and that's what Coley said this year. We made fun of it a lot, and it it almost seems like he's like living that. And I know he's not the one calling plays, but if we go three and out, we're good. No, you're not. Like you're not. You're not good if you go three and out. Like it's it's like there's like a fear to turn the ball over to where it's almost like they think, and and it doesn't even work out for them. But they think like, oh, at the end of the game, if the other team has more turnovers than us, then we get an extra twenty points or something like that. It doesn't work like that. Like, but for some reason, they, 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 they really do have a mindset of, you know, if we go three and out, we're okay. Not, not necessarily. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a, yeah, I mean, it was always going to be a tough year. And I think these two games and I can't see any other outcome than a pasting copy um, of the last two games on Sunday as well. And unless, unless you get a big break of the ball, you know, like three turnovers like week one. And, you know, even though a team that throws, throws for 300 and whatever yards it was, Trevor Lawrence got, you managed to, you know, sort of pad the score out and kind of and keep keep a buffer there. But yeah, it feels like uh, Sean McVay and his offense will come come at times Sunday and probably put on a similar show. Cooper Cup, very scary thought there. And then you got Woods, you got those receivers. That's to, I'm assuming I haven't looked at my fantasy rankings yet. I don't have either one on my team, but I'm assuming that Cup and Woods are, you know, near the top of of uh, fantasy and daily fantasy rankings uh, yeah, heading into yeah. Sunday. Yeah, and I think as well, you've got, I mean, there's, the, there's some of the route combinations and there was a, a touchdown, which I don't think, it's not even in the route tree that he ran, but Sam, uh, but uh, just in the red zone and they're, they're playing at a high level and it's kind of come together quite well. So I think uh, it'll, um, it'll be a buzzsaw, I think, through um, through that, that secondary particular, regardless of what the guys do up front. And I think probably the, the pressure up front as well is probably if you were to look at that, Arizona team. I know a lot of people have called them complete, but for me, I, I think they're they're weak up front in the offensive line, and that's obviously nullified by um, by by Kyler's athleticism. But um, it certainly feels like that probably could be their their undoing if if there is one. I think so. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I'm still not buying them as the top team in the NFC. I, I think I could probably name three or four that I believe more in. Now I've disrespected teams like Arizona before, and they've made me look silly. But I think the Rams are better. I think I I, I know that. They got the Rams earlier this year, but I think the Rams are better. I think Tampa Bay is better. I think Dallas might be better when they're at full strength, when they get, you know, Lyle Collins, Demarcus Lawrence, and uh, Gallup back or whoever. So I'm, I, I might be guilty of sleeping on the Cardinals, but that's just I, – I even think I would take Green Bay in a playoff series. But who knows? I mean, you know, Kyler could be emerging as – you know, one of the three best quarterbacks in the league in front of our very eyes. I think he's definitely one of the best. Uh, but I'm still I'm still guilty of sleeping on Arizona for sure. I think I think this Rams team is better. Yeah, no, definitely. And talking to Green Bay, we also had the introductory press conference um from Whitney Merciless, a guy who oh, yeah. benefited from this franchise, who was given disproportionate treatment um by the previous regime. For some unknown reason, they restructured his contract, then cut him, so it increased his dead cap bit. But uh, everybody wants to say Casero's done a great job. But as I said, I'll reserve judgment for, for three years' time. 
Um, but I think with him, with his comments, I mean, he said something about a cloud being over the franchise and there's issues or, or it goes right up to the tippy top was his, his quote. Um, and I, I think that's quite damning in a sense because you've you've got a guy who who has got no axe to grind because he's been he, he was given he was almost given a reparation contract because he outplayed that four year twenty six million deal he signed in twenty fifteen he gets fifty four million over four in uh, in the the tail end of twenty nineteen when the biggest issue with that defense at the end of that season was the pass rush so everybody knew it was ill fated it was it was it was coming um, obviously we've made it worse for ourselves by restructuring so we could sign you know the Marcus Walker and whoever but. Um, but was that not probably just again going back to that earlier point? Is that not uh, another sign that we're not out of the troubles that have seen us put, been put in this position? I think there's still a lot to be fixed uh, on Kirby. For sure. I mean, I think that was that was damning. It was honest. Uh, I think it was respectable. I think it was unselfish. Uh, and I think that you know, if if you work somewhere and you're getting favorable treatment, but your company is the stock is dropping and it's plummeting and the performance is going way down uh, and other people are getting treated bad or, you know, there's some stuff going on. Uh, then, you know, you, you don't think you work for a good company regardless of, you know, what's going on with you. And I thought that was very honest of, of Whitney. Uh, and let's be honest, man, just because you give someone money doesn't mean that someone respects your organization. I mean, I'm sure there's yeah. a lot of guys that have gotten cut by the Patriots or, you know, cut by good teams that respect the decision because it's business and they understand that. So just because you give a guy an undeserved contract, I don't think that you bought the right for him not to be honest. But I thought it was damning because, you know, that's a guy that's one of their culture fits and a guy who, you know, is the right kind of guy and a Texan for life, as Cal McNair said. And Whitney Merciless comes out and says that. So I, I do think it's damning. I think it's accurate. Uh, I think it's. They do have problems at the tippity top, uh, and I don't know what happens to eliminate those problems at the tippity top, because uh, you know Whitney three three days from leaving, uh, you know eight months or whatever into this culture change that they say they're creating, Whitney Merciless is saying they got problems at the tippity tops. So yeah, that's uh, that's tough. I, I think obviously we just as we started recording, there was a news immersion. Um, you'll probably see it by the time you listen to this, but. There's a, a report out there that Cal's put his foot in his mouth, like father, like son, I suppose, in that sense. So, uh, But I thought what was switching is a bit of a controversial issue, so we'll not bother wasting time on it. But I think the 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 issue with um, Albert Breer talking last week, and he said um, to to a number of guys on a podcast, and he said Cal, or the owner, he never actually said Cal explicitly, so I'm assuming it's Cal, um, hates to show on him and he, they don't get on, and which... Is a huge departure from the bumbling, you know, committed to excellence kind of guy that just sits there and as if he's just been fed the line from the PR department. And look, he might have an, you know, a steely side behind him when the cameras are off. It's hard to see that, but I thought that was a, an odd characterization from somebody who's very, very close and very familiar with Nick Casario. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, whether Cal hates Deshaun or not, I don't know. I'm, I think there's context clues that Deshaun doesn't think much of Cal, uh, and maybe even more than context clues. But yeah. uh, I, I, I guess you know that maybe Cal does dislike Deshaun. I mean, Deshaun's wanting to get out of his org out of his organization, so I could understand that. There's obviously some bad blood, so Deshaun has to hate somebody or something. Uh, so I was I didn't make too much of what. 
what Albert said there. I know John McClain has kind of, you know, said that they don't hate each other, which I guess, or he said Cal's never said anything to him about it, but there's obviously some beef, some bad blood. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one because it just doesn't seem like from everything you've seen and every time he goes out in front of the media, he does more damage than good. And like there's another example of that today um, in Bally Sports or whatever it is. I've never heard of it until right now, but I think that the, they don't need any more bad publicity. Like well, they don't, it. they don't, yeah. they don't need it. Like they don't, they don't need any bad publicity. Like there's already problems. There's already trust issues with Cal. Like they just, they don't need it. Uh, that's, that's the well, problem. That's it. And it's not, I would assume it's not um, considering some of the behavior that goes on in the league. It's um, and some of the accusations and stuff is not enough to get myself. So like, it's, it's an on story in my opinion. And in some ways it's just people looking to snipe, but, um, and, and pick holes at what's a what's a wounded animal right now and it's, it doesn't look like it's got any plan um, to get any better the only way we will get better and the lifeline will be when we move on from Deshaun and those picks are potentially something you can use to fortify an ailing roster of players that just aren't there aren't competitive on a Sunday it all comes out in a very very public manner all from local guys last week Landry putting out um, oh it's happening it's on the cards it's going to happen this week deal's not done Felt a kind of a, a bit forced at the time. What do you make of this sort of latest raft of Deshaun rumors? Well, I just know that, you know, we play follow the source on our show. And I, I know that, you know, when Berman and McLean get a story at the same time, it's coming from the organization. Um, that might be too much information, but that's just, that's just what I know. Like, I mean, that's not from like, you know, asking McLean. I just know, I, I yeah. know that when they share a story, it's coming from the organization. Uh, and I know that McLean, uh, he's not going to just come out and say it if someone important isn't telling him that. So obviously somebody important wants it out there uh, that Deshaun's going to be moved or it's going to be close. So I have no reason not to believe that. Uh, but I, I do hope and my biggest hope. And I think the most important thing is that, it's 100% Nick Casario's decision and that he is going to get max equity for Deshaun because I don't understand the point of doing it right now. I think that there is going to be more suitors in the offseason. I think that Miami and Carolina aren't going anywhere uh, in the offseason. I get what could happen. I know that there's all the like, well, if this happens, but based on everything that I've read based on everyone that I've talked to based on everything that I've gathered with the information I have right now. I just don't think that like Deshaun Watson is going to get kicked out of the league or something like that. Uh, so I just think that it would be better, a better decision to hold on to him and wait till maybe the giants, the Eagles, hell the Raiders, the Broncos, um, who knows who else uh, are trying to get him because then you'll have more people uh, involved in the negotiations. And I think that only raises the price. Yeah. And I suppose the, I suppose that the one thing that did make me change it yesterday when, and I saw you tweeting about this as well, that when the Rams traded uh, Kenny Young to Denver for 2024 picks, which I think the, the wide understanding or certainly that understanding I had was you can only do three years out when you got to the draft, uh, but it looks like you can do three yeah. and then four at the draft. So if somebody could offer three, three first rounds over the next couple of years, it's fine. But I think when you look at the Miami one, it seems everybody seems to be hell bent on pushing that agenda there and that narrative. I think roughly, 
Um, if you go off the old school point system, the, the the three picks, assuming that they're going to be you know fifteen plus for San Francisco at the end of this year, you never know how that takes off with Trey Lance in year two. So the two of those picks are are San Fran's, and one of them is uh, is Philadelphia. Uh, sorry, is Miami. And assuming Deshaun goes there, then you know you, you assume they're going to have you know at least an eight or nine win season. So when you think of those picks versus where where the the current slated picks are. Uh, for Philly, it's about forty percent of the points, you know. So I think that that move now uh, would seem an ill-fated one if you want to go, if you just want to chase after an immediate return. I know there's all the kind of legal stuff and going on, but I think you assume nothing and just let it and let it play out. And I think there's enough there's enough money and power on one side of that argument to to probably feel like they're in with a chance to get their way. Otherwise, they would have written checks. I think, in my opinion, so. Um, it feels like dealing with Miami now could be a huge mistake, um, and that would probably, in my opinion, Casario not exceed max value for for some for the probably the biggest resource he needs to flip to give yourself a chance of success in this job. Yeah, I thought it was three and four, and then Texans cap talked me out of it, and then he confirmed with the Texans that it that it is three and four. So yeah. it's three years out, and based on that, I need four firsts from Miami. I mean, I'm sorry. I need it. Like hmm. if I'm going to, if I'm going to trade you right now, uh, the Sean Watson, um, and obviously you think that he's going to play. Um, and I'm doing it before I could get to the off season. And I have Philadelphia with your pick and I have the giants with extra picks and I have all these other teams and more time has gone by, uh, then I'm going to need the four firsts. Uh, and, and that's that's going to be a starting point. And then I might even ask for your three seconds. And I know people will say, well, you know, that's asking. No, it's not. Like, and, and the suspension doesn't mean anything, too. That's, that's the funniest thing to me is like, oh, well, you know, he might get suspended six games. Who gives a rat's ass? Like, people draft quarterbacks. Like, San Francisco traded – two first round picks or whatever it was three to move up and get Trey Lance. And he wasn't even their week one starter. Okay. So they were willing to wait for someone that you don't know what he's going to be. They were willing to wait however long it took for Trey Lance. Uh, and they were willing to trade multiple first round picks for it. Like Patrick Mahomes got drafted by the chiefs and he didn't play all year. Like, you know what Deshaun Watson is. So the suspension means nothing like that. That is irrelevant to me. Like, and what are you really trying to do? Like the best thing that could happen to Miami is they trade for Deshaun Watson. And then all of a sudden the NFL comes out and says, we're going to suspend him six games. Uh, that's it. Six games. Boom. Oh, you missed the, the six games of a season in which you're one and six, one and seven, and then he's full go next year. So that's it. Like that's the best thing that could happen. So I don't care about the suspension and when in a world in which Jamal Adams is getting traded for two firsts, Laramie Tunsil is getting traded for two firsts, and Jalen Ramsey's getting traded for two firsts, and there's there's even more icing on that cake, uh, second round picks uh, in in the case of uh, Tunsil or whatever. Like you can't convince me that three first round picks for Deshaun Watson, regardless, is fair value. So for me, Miami's got it. Miami's got to come with four firsts. Or else we can just wait and we can talk after the season. I, I just don't. I, I'm three firsts is not going to do it for me in this situation with this quarterback and with that contract. Like, I know it's a heavy contract, but the CBA, the the cap's going to keep going up. They're about to have the Amazon deal in a few years. Uh, Kyler's going to get paid a hell of a lot of money. I think he's going to be one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league. But by, by the time uh, you, it's in year two, I think Herbert's probably going to have his extension. So. That that contract's actually going to be a bargain pretty soon, just like it was 
you know, for a lot of these guys when they were the highest paid. And at one point, Derek Carr was the highest paid quarterback because of it. So, yeah, you're going to have to come with four firsts or else I'm just going to have to hold off on it. McLean saying three ones and two twos, that would be disappointing for me. And I do understand the variables. I'm very aware of what could happen. But that's just not how I would function if I was Nick Casario. And I wouldn't fault him. Like, if Nick Casario holds up, I'm not going to use hindsight. Uh, just like I'm not blaming Lovey Smith or Tim Kelly. Like, if he holds off and then we find out Deshaun Watson's going to jail or something, I'm not going to sit here and say he should have done it. His job is to get max value for Deshaun Watson, the most equity possible. And if he's not getting four ones, I think he's doing a major disservice. Yeah, well, he's got to be worth at least double a box safety's value to your football team, if not if not a bigger multiplier than that. So, And uh, and the contract as well, I think he's one, because the bonus, we've paid the bonus money, he's banked that. So I think it works out roughly 28 million APY for the remainder of the deal, which, you know, considering the, the or the the, uh, the new equilibrium that's about to be found with, uh, well, maybe not Mayfield, but certainly with Lamar Jackson. Well, mind you, maybe not because his mum's negotiating it, but somebody's going to break that barrier. So I think the you know there's going to be a, there's going to be a jump there, um, and and then that twenty eight million is going to look pretty good now that we've we've sunk all the bonus money into it. So it's it's uh yeah I, I'm I'm of this. I've always said if it was only three if it was only three years you could get it'd be three firsts and three seconds as an absolute minimum, or I wouldn't even talk to you. Um, and I'd be I'd be asking what, what what extra are you putting on that for us? And it's it's two or three rookie rookie contract players. I don't want a single veteran. I don't want a vested veteran. I want rookie contract players. And uh, because if you, and especially if Miami want it now, you've got if you want to take in if you were buying a house or an apartment or a car or something, and you said to them, oh, "Look, I want to take this off the market early." You'd have to pay a premium for that. So you know, I think four first pluses at, at this point, um, knowing that now that we can we can do three years worth is is possible. But yeah, I think I think it's a ten-year you know annuity of a rare resource that nobody else has, um, and this college pipeline looks weaker than it has done in previous years. You never know, but um, certainly it feels like all the market forces are and, trending towards the Texans here. And the other thing about it is, and and look, I, I understand both sides. We talk about this daily on the show, but it's like, oh well. You know, he has this, 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 this going. That's the only reason he's available. You've never had a 25-year-old quarterback in his prime traded. So yeah, obviously there's something there, but that's the only that's why he's available. Yeah. That like that 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 well that and he wanted out, but that but 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 that's separate. I'm just talking about from them talking about the risk, like you don't get opportunities to get 25-year-old quarterbacks in their prime. So, like, yeah, there's there's obviously something going on, whether it's an, a dysfunctional organization, whether it's the off-field stuff. Yeah, he's available. And Miami and Carolina and all these other teams aren't willing to trade for him uh, and just rolling the dice saying, oh, you know, he might go to jail. They're obviously doing their homework, too. So anything can happen, but it, I'm, I'm holding off. You got you got to play hardball if you're Nick Casario. Uh, yeah, and I think, I think if uh, a billionaire – um, who's who can do anything he wants at a, at a snap of a finger, um, has not you know, and I, I know I think it was uh, Aaron Wilson reported that the Eagles sent somebody that a private investigator at Houston yeah. um, to to look in the situation. So like these things happen, and there's more than enough resource to do the diligence there, and there's more than enough uh, resource on on Watson's side, um, you know, and I'm not reserving any judgment as but the whole court system's there for it to do. But I think the the fact that they're willing to take this right to the end um, just shows you that. Uh, you know they, they feel they feel like they're comfortable with the chance they've got to clear his name, and and we all know that the fact that 
there was a compensation offer made, and I think uh, Joshina Anderson tweeted this out today that they offered compensation, but they didn't want to sign up to a non-disclosure or or a disclosure rather um, on the end. So there's obviously you know there's obviously a lot to it. Um, you know we'll never know the full truth, but I would like to move on. But tonight, but now is not the right time. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you 100. You just gotta you gotta play the hardball and look, man. Like up till Sunday before noon, I don't know what time it was there, but like before noon on Sunday, like it was believed just to be Miami. It took three quarters of football, about two hours for (laughs) Carolina to be in. Like it literally took two and a half hours for Carolina to be like, screw this. We want to get in the mix now. Like what the hell could happen in 10 weeks? Like what the hell could happen in months? To where it only took two and a half hours for a team to be in on this Deshaun Watson thing. That's why. That's why I'm really worried about the timing, uh, and I'm hoping the compensation is something that's that's satisfying for Texans fans uh, because I, I know they want to see some young talent out there, and they want to see you know if you're going to lose your franchise quarterback, that you're at least going to have you know something to show for it. Yeah, and I think the yeah, I mean people people kind of say what about the PR storm and all this kind of stuff. I say well, if you've read anything about David Tepper, I don't, and a guy who worked for Goldman Sachs, these people do not give a shit about PR storm. They'll do what they think, what to do, and what makes them successful because they know at the end of the day they're focused on dollars, and that's what that and that's what he brings a winning franchise, a winning quarterback who who went to college in that region. They're trying to, they're, you know, they're trying to expand themselves into the south of Carolina with that new training facility and everything. I think it's perfect for them. So if there was any team willing to pay with an aggressive owner who manages his own hedge fund, who can who can see the true value, probably more than other people would. Um, if if anybody was going to overpay in the media eyes, I think it might be Tepper. Um, but we'll see. And as you said, it took two hours. What can happen in six months? Six months a hell of a long time in this league, and you see so much change. And you know, Denver not there with it, but. Um, you know, there's so many teams it could be, and I think New York as well. Like, I mean, that's got to be a, a perfect one because they've just been starved of success for so long for a huge market team and a big, you know. And and again, it, people say, you know, Deshaun wants to maybe go to Miami because it's a lifestyle aspect. Well, you know, New York's probably the same in that sense. So yep. if he wants to be, if he if that's what he's looking for, I'm not saying it necessarily is, but it's certainly been intimated that's the case, and um, and and so be it. Um, but this is a hellishly sad story. I think that should have been the guy for us for 15 years, and we got yeah. four. So yeah, there you go. You thought you were set. You thought you were set there. I mean, that's yeah. that, you thought you were set, but you're not. Yeah, and, you know, UT man Landry. Any caught any guys in the college landscape that have caught your caught your eye this year? You think could be in conversation? Uh, I I would love to have Kayvon Thibodeau. I mean, I would I would really love to have uh, Thibodeau uh, as a Texan. That's the guy that I'm really focused on right now. None of these quarterbacks excite me at all, and that's no. that's one of the most frustrating things is that. I think this is probably going to be one of the weaker quarterback drafts uh, that we've had in a long time. Going back to, I think, when E.J. Manuel was the the first uh, quarterback selected. But, I mean, right now, Thibodeau is the, is the hope. You probably got to have the number one pick uh, there. But maybe you're going to go offensive line. There's a lot there. There's some good offensive linemen there. But I think, uh, I think Thibodeau is the guy that if you're a Texans fan, you want that, you know, cornerstone game changer, Miles Garrett, Chase Young type guy. I think that's the guy. Do you think he's the same level? I, I, I watched the UCLA game um, back on, on, uh, on the Sunday morning and I didn't realize he was only twenty when I when I tweeted this out, but I, I did think he's got a lot. Of, he's got a bit of work to do. I mean, his raw athleticism is undisputed. You see that when he when he gets people off the edge. But I thought maybe his hand fighting pad level um, 
and some of the, and some of that technique stuff that could be refined and it will be refined at the next level if he's want to be a, a down and down out pass rusher. But um, again, he's only twenty. But I, I did think he looked a wee bit raw um, and maybe made you a little bit concerned versus maybe like uh, the, the the kid from A uh, and M uh, is it Neil um, and then like guys like Derek Stingley who are a bit more refined as, as a top end pick. But I suppose you're, if you go with him, you're maybe going upside. Yeah, I mean, it would just take the right coaching. I would like to see, you know, if Lovey's still here, Lovey get his hands on him because, you know, I think Lovey can do a good job with someone like that. And that's that's the that's the thing you're mentioning these these you know defensive linemen. It's where Lovey specializes, uh, helping those guys out. So if you're gonna if you're gonna look at those guys, I think it, I think it helps. Uh, I think Thibodeau uh, with the right coach, he he can be he can be everything you want. Uh, from from that guy to uh, to build the uh, I, I guess build the team around. I don't know. It feels weird saying that about a DM, but be that first you know potential upper echelon type of guy. You just think how many times is this going to happen to us? I think the twenty four teams the same. The Mario Williams draft was the same. You know, and I just think <laughs> it's uh, you got to, and you thought you caught a break of luck with finding a guy that Rick Smith went up for and nobody else in the building. Oh, go back to David gonna... Carr over Julius Peppers. I mean, that was yeah. that was uh, you know that was probably something that would have changed the whole you know beginning of the franchise if they would have gone you know Julius instead of David. Well, that's it. And I, I think you can you can lock into guys at times. Um, and I suppose maybe after all this, I would use some luck. We don't know, but um, I don't think the luck will start on Sunday anyway. But looking forward to the draft eventually. But you you feel you feel almost regrettable saying that, you know, after seven games. It is what it is. We didn't we it. didn't make these moves. Well, that's it. That's why I keep saying people embrace the slog, and to a degree, it's all cyclical. If you can find a guy, and you know, you're you're once you get a quarterback in, you're three years away from a you know a ten eleven squad, aren't you? You know, nine times out of ten. So. Uh, we've got the Astros on tonight, Landry. You watching? Um, I've been a couple of Astros games when I've been over, and I think it's uh, a testament, uh, probably the antithesis of the Texans in terms of sustained success and building a core player rosters that can continually get you back to the, you know the, the big dance because you've built it the right way. Yeah, and it's just interesting. Like any way, like sometimes when a team is built, there's like one approach or there's one like mindset that leads to it. And with this Astros team, I mean, you can just you can go through every area in which you evaluate a general manager. And, and this goes back to Jeff Luna, really. And I think James Click has done some of it, too. Uh, and it's just all been on point, you know, bring in the young guys, Correa, Altuve, Bregman, uh, sign guys under the radar, Yuli Gurriel, Martin Maldonado. Uh, hell, they signed Luis Garcia and Framber Valdez and Urquidy. Uh, I think it was like fifteen thousand uh, dollars for Framber Valdez. Uh, sign the sign the middle tier free agents, uh, Michael Brantley. Be patient with your young guys and don't give up on them. Uh, like Kyle Tucker, uh, the Jordan Alvarez trade, I think was like for a bag of peanuts, uh, Josh Fields to the, to the Dodgers, like just every way I make, make moves at the deadline, you know, Kendall Graveman and, you know, going back to Osuna and Presley, like every way in which you can measure, you know, the right way to bring in players and talent and stuff, they, they've done it. And it's just, uh, it's just really a testament to that. And that's the thing about Casario is like, Part of me says, well, uh, you know, it's, you know, there's not much, who cares if he, you know, is flipping draft picks and who cares if, you know, this free agent doesn't work, but you would like to see, you would like to be able to hang your hat on something that he does well, uh, because 
you're not necessarily going to do what the Astros do where you, no matter what it is, you do it right. But you'd like to see him like good at something uh, at this point. But they just, they're, they're the epitome of just, it's not even just a lesson for the Texans. I think it's a lesson for, you know, any organization just, man. And I don't think there's a formula. I just think it's making the right decisions. Uh, and they, they just seem to do it every time they have to make one. It just seems like they do make the right decision. Yeah, no, that's the worry that I have it back in my head or I continue to have is the guys like James Lipford and Matt Bazargan are equally, if not more complicit than Jack Easterby, but kind of slide under the radar. Casero's not brought much fresh blood in that front office. Guys who have made a number of years of of poor talent evaluation, um, you know, if that's still, still people making the calls or making the influence to make the calls, makes you wonder if you'll hit on all those picks. Should, you know, should you get them? And that that's that's the bit that, wor- that, that worries me. Yeah, well, at least we're going to get to uh, watch a draft day one with some sort of interest. Uh, well, that's it. And it's in Vegas this year, so it's uh, well worth attendance, I would think. So we'll hopefully yeah. can make that happen. But uh, I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to have to go check that out for sure. I was actually. I'm actually. I got two more Vegas trips. I got one in December, and then I got one in uh, no uh, January. So. I'm a big fan, so I might have to. I might as well just try to make the trip to the, for the draft too. I know they got the NFL jersey on Caesar now and stuff, and they're doing it in that pond in front of Bellagio. Yeah, so I'm gonna have to check it out. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it can be a couple of days that turn, turn this thing in the right direction. But Landry, thank you very much for your time, mate. Much appreciated um, for having you on and uh, talking, trying to make some sense of this uh, crazy old team yeah. for an hour. Appreciate it's an it. impossible task, man. It's a, but it's always fun talking to you about it. Appreciate it. Well, thanks to Landry for his time. If you want to check any of the weekly articles out at podcasttexans.com and we'll speak to you again after the Rams next week. 